Best of order, please, ladies and gentlemen. Best of order. Let's have a bit of ash now. Inaudible to the general ear, strange sounds are rumbling. Gospel yeah, yeah sound. That gospel yeah, yeah sound. Breed of racing music. New breed for the new flood. Liberation theology for the untouchable sounds. Yeah, all the way. All the way from Chocolate yeah, City. How did that show go? Also, I, I want to sort of like introduce you. Technically, we're recording. But, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah! But we don't have to officially start yet. Okay, yeah, yeah, well the yeah, yeah. show the show went really great. It's called Rated Z. It's like a TV show kind of. The idea is it's like a variety show in the style of Ready Steady Go or whatever. So I'm the host and I play on it too. And then I got a bunch of acts together. And we made a set and we're. But the most important thing is you know we're filming it live with these old tube cameras. And the cool thing about that oh, is... Oh, wow, they're tube cameras. Oh, yeah, so they're like man. broadcast cameras from like 70s or whatever. So so it, the whole thing has kind of a really cool vibe, but also we have all these tungsten lights. So that's really important because it just feels good in there and people people feel good and you can really tell that like, oh, everybody's having a good time because the light is good. You know, and that, so I've done this lip sync idea before, but I didn't film it where I get people to, oh yeah, so that's the other thing, all the performances are lip-sync. So, yeah, so there's people, so people lip-syncing their own music, which is really cool because, well, number one, it's really hard. It's like the hardest thing you can do. It's like pushing rope, you know? You're just like, okay, like, you know, you're not getting any of the satisfaction of, of hitting the, you know, you know, because there's a real satisfaction toward amplified, music you know you're you, you know it's like you hit the core you hit the string and it's like you get this crazy sound you hit the drum bam you scream into a mic you it's, you know it's really it feels good and all that energy you know that you're putting into it there's a there's a kind of uh there's a sort of uh satisfaction to it but um when you're lip syncing it's completely weird at least for me it's like a really weird sensation you're not getting any of the satisfaction of playing you're just you know you're in this empty simulated ritual so it's almost like torture and it's <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing because really you know people were we've been raised with this idea that oh like you know these people are charlatans because they lip sync you know like kiss or whoever you know whatever terrible band you know it's like oh well kiss the jar just lip syncing and when we were raised we were told that that was really that that made them really like you know a fake band and really bad but in a sense like if you're pantomiming on stage if you're lip syncing it's much harder than really playing and we should really respect those bands more more than you know like millie vanilli or whoever <laughs> those those bands are really doing something way harder a real musician. That's an interesting, yeah, that, that's a really interesting concept. I, you've had a lot of interesting concepts. I just maybe want to introduce you, or this is a, oh, yeah, Ian, sure. yeah. Ian Sfinonius, who is a writer. He's written Psychic Soviet, and he's a musician and, and has played, sung and fronted some of my favorite bands like The Makeup, Nation of Ulysses, Weird War, and now does escapism, and he's just full of uh, interesting ideas as well. And, and he, you're also like one of the pioneers of like Gonzo, the return of like Gonzo talk shows. 
Oh, well, thanks. Man. Yeah, thanks. With, so- with soft focus, which was on. Yeah, soft focus. Yeah, yeah, soft focus was definitely a trend. It kind of, uh, it was a trendsetter. Um, it was, you know, but at the th- it's interesting to think about the time that it was made. It was a talk show that we did on the internet. And, um, you know, it was an interesting period for music because we interviewed musicians. And um, it's just really interesting to think about the climate now as opposed to the climate then, because, you know, when we were doing it, we basically, the only people who kind of agreed to do it were these kind of legacy people, you know, the Jello Biafras of the world who have this enormous oeuvre and tons of stuff to say. But all the young bands, you know, of them, uh, you know, at the time, I don't know that, you know, the the kind of, you know, you know the, the groups that were happening at the time, a lot of them were quite shy to get on stage and talk because, you know, at the time we were really in the, in this kind of psychedelic word, you know, wordless or atmospheric music, you know, everybody was sort of, you know, doing this kind of, you know, it was more of the. Like chill wave. Yeah. There was a chill wave. Yeah, chill exactly. wave psyop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And things, things were very, things were about um, this kind of wordless, you know, uh, sensual, you know, hypno, you know, hypnotic, whatever, you know, it's like very, like, very orientalist, a lot of like borrowing from other cultures, which I, I don't think is a bad thing at all. Um, no, no, you're right. The, you're the, right. There was a, was there was a, a levy thing. of like cultural appropriation. I mean, I played in one of those bands, so that, that was sort of, uh, that was a kind of invective thrown against us. But, you know, at the end of the day, I still, you kind of have to stand up and say, well, maybe like Orientalism is, is just sort of like an embrace of, the, you know, so so it's really interesting. But yeah, and you have a new book out, and this is what I'm really interested in, called Against the Written Word. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, um, yeah, the book, oh, well, to tell, you know, but, oh, I mean, an interesting thing about that, you know, the thing, you know, Oriental, you know, Orientalism or whatever in music or whatever, I think it was a real, you know, it was kind of, obviously it was had something to do with you know dance music and that kind of ascendancy of you know techno and and you know and that kind of relationship to music as environment as opposed to performance you know right um at least you know the, a lot of the groups that i'm referring to without naming their names so i don't want to get personal or anything but um uh, oh yeah but so the book yeah yeah so I have this new book it's called against the written word it's my fourth book and um and it's it's the book to end all books it's the book it's a book it's it begins with a tract against literacy so it's a it's it's encourage encouraging people to not just to not read but to you know abandon literacy and and to kind of end the program of universal literacy and the kind of conceit that uh literacy is somehow equated to moral goodness it's a real um it's it's kind of a it's an exploration of you know where this conceit comes from the idea that we have that you know that you know uh you know that reading is you know elevates us and makes us good people and is will liberate us blah 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 you know the uh, that and the premise of the essay and i think it's a very compelling essay it's uh the premise is that, you know, as opposed to liberating us, you know, words, the written word really enslaves us and it alienates us 
from experience and um, that it's actually, you know, universal literacy and the, the idea of that that's become, you know, institutionalized. It's compulsory. Reading is compulsory. You know, no, you know, we're forced to read. We have no choice but to read. The first thing that we're forced to do as infants is learn our ABCs. And, uh, and, you know, all other education is really secondary to this literacy program that the ruling class have instituted uh, through their agents, the, pa- the parents and the teachers, the, the, you know, the, what, whatever, whatever, pro- you know, proctors we encounter in our early life. Um, you know, they're really, in, in, they're obsessed with us reading and they're intent on us reading. And we're even taught that even reading garbage is somehow a kind of noble act, you know, and, um, and, you know, so you have to wonder why, why did that happen? Why did universal literacy become institutionalized with the enlightenment? And you really, and you know, the, so the Francis you know, Bacon knowledge is power. Yeah. Well, well, you know, so, and what we realized after reading this essay and the first essay of against the written word, which is, um, eponymously titled or whatever the word is, um, is that it's, uh, you know, it was just a tool, you know, when the, the, when the, when the middle class was rising up to, you know, oust the aristocracy and the church from, you know, the throne, they needed, you know, they, they enlisted, you know, the working people, the working class, uh, through this, uh, literacy program. And ever since they've, um, kind of, you know, they've indoctrinated us. It just a uh, you know kind of you know this they you know they need us to be able to read so we can read their 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 bile and um, and that's why um, you know the book is you know it's it encourages people to give up reading and um, to uh, not you know and that yeah it's 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 a very inspiring book and I I encourage everybody to buy one to order one immediately. There are certain anthropologists like Pierre Clostras who basically was making an argument for, uh, it, instead of it being sort of like a, a Marxist analysis of like egalitarianism, he was premise of, of some of his work has basically been this notion that violent methods of torture and warfare are the only thing that actually sustains their struggle against the state. So would you almost say that you're like advocating for some like volunteerist? On one hand, it's like when I look at like SoundCloud rappers, I'm really fascinated because it's like, man, you know, you guys are coming up with all these words and, you know, there is a sort of like deeper intelligence to it. And, you know, I really do think there's a separation between human intelligence and machine intelligence, even though they aid and augment each other. I think there's a lot of like conversations lately about you know artificial intelligence will it replace us and i'm very much like no that's all bullshit these are people just looking for funding no i wouldn't i I, that's interesting that's interesting to me that's more you know but but well um as far as violence um i don't know i mean i just think that you know the violence of the state is and the violence of the ruling class is really instituted via these word weapons and you know it always has been you know if you look at the the you know the 
ascendancy of the bourgeoisie, you know, it was through the American Revolution, which was really a pamphleteer's war, you know, common sense. We all learn about Thomas Paine, common sense. It's what really launched the the war and popular dissent against the crown. And, um, and you know, the French Revolution, similarly, was very much literacy, you know, is literacy-based. Um, the pen is mightier than the sword, whereas right. the bourgeois boast. It was a way of leavening the playing field against you know the the, the you know the the king's army yeah, the and royalists the, yeah 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 the, the and and their allies in the church and in a sense if you look at um you know the bible you know it says the the you know first there was the word and the word was god so what we realize is that words are you know that control is through these words and these written words. And, you know, you're talking about these rappers on SoundCloud and the kind of nonsense language and everything. And that is kind of the, that's the resistance to this, to the, you know, sort of linguistic engineering of the ruling class that we're... we're We're seeing words morph every day you know these you know every day you're there's some new term that people are throwing at you and it's it's this kind of linguistic jujitsu that people are constantly using to kind of you know throw you off balance and to kind of wrestle you to the to into submission you know so uh you know i'm not totally up to date with the with the words but you know every day there's some new word you know what i'm talking about you know suddenly people are like oh well that's you know, like suddenly you see a word coming into usage where people are like, like Riz. I'm like, what is that? And they're like, oh, you have to go on TikTok. It's like, he's got Riz. I just heard that. Oh, I, no, I, I heard that like a, it's like some sort of like spitting game over the Internet. I have no um, idea. No, no, that's see, that's interesting because in a, in a sense, yeah, that's the other side of it. What I'm talking about is more of these academic social justice words that are kind of, you know, you, you know, that sort of throw, you know, that are just like, boom, you know, bam, like body slam. Suddenly you're sort of off balance, you know, because well, the, the social justice terminology is really the language of imperialism, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, but it's constantly morphing and it's right. constantly, yeah, yeah. you know, um, and if you're not equipped with the latest arsenal of weapons, you're really not able to kind of engage, not that, you know, we want to engage, but you know, that, that, the the you know it's this kind of um it's a very it's it's you know it's it's you know you the language is is morphing at this really incredible pace and then on the other side there's yeah there's all this you know technical terminology um and like you said the slang but i so so sort of the premise of the book is kind of that rock and roll is kind of um you know in its in its nascent form uh, it was really all about nonsense, and it was it was feared by the ruling class as something that would abolish literacy, that would destroy literacy, that would create illiteracy in its listeners, and that's why early rock and roll was feared for its power to um, spread juvenile delinquency, and um, you know, and um, that was because of all the nonsense and the kind of anti language that was happening in rock and roll with this bebop, you know, shoe blop, you know, the kind of thing that came out of, you know, scatting 
or whatever. And this kind of, you know, you know, this thing that, you know, rockers were doing, of course, rock and roll was eventually quickly co-opted, appropriated by the ruling class and put into their, you know, kind of cold war arsenal for, but, but, you know, rock and roll in its early form was this kind of anti-language thing. And that's, so that's really yeah. interesting. And, you bop, know, the book is, bop, you know, like, yeah, bop, 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 yeah. exactly. And words that we still don't know how to spell. Nobody, nobody can understand how to spell this stuff. It's like, a, it's, you know, I mean, I think people have been trying to for a decade, you know, they haven't successfully spelled any of this stuff. And, um, yeah, and th- so that's cool. I mean, that's really interesting because it's like, can you can you know can can you publish? Can you publish Bob Bob Blue Bob? You know, I I don't think so because then nobody can own you know the, this. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, who, right. Anyway, so um, you know, of course, quickly rock and roll was morphed with you know the folk tradition, and it became about you know, and there was this whole thing, or you know, or not the folk tradition, but the you know the. The kind of, you know, this kind of, um, you know, literacy thing, you know, the, the, you know, the Dillons and Jim Morrison's, the Leonard Cohen's, all these people, the Nick Caves, you know, they brought this literary, literary element into the music that, you know, that, but, um, but, you know, one heartening thing is that, uh, you know, rock and roll uh, was so much equated with this boomer, you know, the boomer generation and the kind of post-war um generation and and um at every stage of its development it's really been linked to the you know the boomers uh situation you know so you know in the 50s it was about um you you know being a teenager and then 60s it's about you know being a young adult or you know, in the 70s, of course, is about being a divorcee or or you know or more just on the scene at the dating bar and then in the 80s, of course, it's about, you know, sort of suburban. It's a nostalgia for one's teen years, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so now the music is really linked to dementia, you know, and um, and so it's kind of back to its original state of um, gobbledygook and wordlessness. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make any sense? No, it, it makes total sense. This is, you know... This is why I think truly objective art cannot be representational through language and discourse. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, I think that's part of what destroyed art is this idea, especially if you look at like prestige television shows on HBO. It's it's like they're just taking fucking podcast dialogue from two years ago and, and giving it this massive budget. And it, and it and it's so pro-social and it, it you know it doesn't break any of the sort of like epistemic realm that we inhabit on a daily basis like there's no sort of like shattering of that and but it is interesting because when I think of like the current rock and roll I think of like chief chief you know chief Keith or like SoundCloud rap, because they really are sort of bringing that, you know, anti-language to the forefront, you know, like, I think, I think when rap actually got mumbled was when it 
morphed into rock and roll when it ceased being hip hop and almost like took the place of rock music, which is why yeah. I like it, which is, you know, when, when people started just, you know, basically saying nonsense, that's when I really, really liked it because, you know, there wasn't, it was almost like a kind of formalism, like, oh, yeah, this is just the form of the thing, and you can talk about that. But that's sort of where the conversation stops. It's like, I don't, it, it really is sort of like a fuck you to everything. So, no, this is this is really interesting. Wow. So, the book sounds great. Can't wait to read it. Well, thank you. Thanks. Um, yeah, I'm excited about it. I think it's um, going to, I think it, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's, it's, you know, my last book, was called censorship now. And, you know, when I published it, it was an absurd idea, you know, censorship now, it was ridiculous because it was one of the, um, you know, articles of faith for, you know, liberals that censorship was the worst thing that could ever happen. And I was proposing a kind of um, people's, you know, a people's censorship toward uh, news media and stuff, you know, because I really think, you know, journalists are, you know, you know, sort of the scum of the earth. You know, there are these yeah. kind of the scribes of the oligarchs, the mouthpiece of the oligarchs. They, they really, and they're sort of, you know, they're pretending to be these, you know, agents of, you know, enlightenment, but they're actually, you know, they're, they're really, um, a really a degenerate lot, you know. So censorship now was a kind of, the idea of, you know, um, an upside down censorship, you know, practiced by the people. Let's censor the television. Let's censor the radio. Just a, you know, a willful, not, you know, not a, not, a, you know, censorship from the top, but rather. But anyway, so anyway, censorship now, it was a provocative book. And um, just a couple of years after it came out, what we started seeing was a complete, you know, just you know censorship everywhere and it was vociferously defended by the same status quo who were had those t-shirts that said censorship is an american you know do you know what i mean like so right. it was a very it was a very uh it was a uh, a really interesting thing so i think this anti-literacy book could uh, be similarly prophetic and uh, influential and uh, I'm just really excited to see what happens because I think the world more than ever, you know, people say, well, people don't read anymore in literacy. Like, you know, the, the book is a kind of redundant idea. No, they well, read constantly. They just, they read constantly. I mean, the world has been reduced to words and, and we, and because of the digital paradigm, you know, we are m more subject to words than ever. We said, around and we text and we write emails and we read constantly, you know, where is a, the news feed is you know, the bombards us is just incessant. Right. So this kind of anti-literacy idea, I think is a very timely idea because what's happened when the world is reduced to words is that nuance and, you know, and art, like you said, art, is because it's kind of can't, it can't exist in this environment it yeah. really can't exist because what we're seeing is the world the, when the world becomes words which it has been it has become then 
the world becomes a legalistic. It's all legalese because words become parsed. Poetry is dead. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because no, a hundred percent. And poetry is dead because people have completely. It's it's difficult, you know, because on one hand, people don't like poetry anymore because they're obsessed with the subjective experience. Now, poetry just stands as it is. It has no didactic meaning. Uh, therefore, beyond it has objecthood. Yeah, beyond one's subjective you know, interpretation of it, which actually gives it its sort of lasting and staying power, it gives it its sort of like uh, magical allure. Like, you know, especially when, you, even if you read Enlightenment poets like Goethe, or Novalis, it's like this stuff is, it's incredibly enchanting and magical, but it's not, you know, it's not like top down. And, and so in a lot of ways, like this, this form of language, and you know, it's like, I can't as conclude, like the other day I was like, you know what? I really don't read fiction books. I only read science fiction, history, philosophy, and poetry. You know, like I actually don't really have that much of an interest in these prescribed social narratives because it's like, well, what is, what society is even being reflected back to us? Like, how is this even artistic anymore? Like the context yeah. has changed so much. And it's like, this is just words, somebody like narrating their life. It's like, it, it just yeah. seems so hopeless. And you look at social media, you know, like I swore <laughs> off fucking Twitter this month, I'm just basically like, you know what? I'm not going to be one of these opinion givers. Like, fuck that. Like, I've, I yeah. got music to make, you know? It's like I've yeah. always been into making things. And the podcast stuff feels a little bit different because it is a talk show. And so I'm, I kind of I vibe with it a little bit more because, it, it you know, it takes a little bit more attention and commitment, um, it, not on the just on the side of the, the listener, but also, like, the the interviewee and like the, this, you know, the things that they're interested in and, and stuff like that. So it doesn't feel quite as bad, which is one of the reasons why I keep doing it. But yeah, all the other stuff, I'm just like, uh, it, it's almost time to like make images better. You know, I, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I, well, it's interesting that in this world where the world, you know, this, the world where words have, you know, just take you know taking over like so much art is words now you know like almost you know half of the gallery shows that you might go see are some pithy turn of phrase or something on a you know on a canvas and right. it's, it's not that i hate that or that i dislike it it's a, you know so it's clever and can be cool but that's that's an interesting you know thing you know and i i think um yeah i don't know it's a, it's um it's yeah, it's interesting. I think the conversation. Yeah, Jenny Holzer and, and a lot yeah, of seventies, you, you know, like a lot of those artists, the the original school of like art and language conceptual artists, people like Robert Barry, they were like, well, we could we could deinstitutionalize art if we just make it the word, but they've just separated the context from the form, and it became you know this expansion to where you know, the state is creating these like MFA programs for these useless artists who didn't never really made anything. They didn't make rock and roll. There was no youth movement involved. It wasn't organic. They just, 
basically turn them into faculty for the state through these like asinine, you know, art speak programs. And, yes. and now and now people, they only do critique. If you go to an art school, one of the reasons I dropped out of fucking art school and got into playing rock and roll was because it was like, well, you're going to you're not going to teach me how to paint good. Like I just yeah, I just teach me how to do the thing, but it's cheaper and it takes less resources to rely on critique, which is yeah. one of the reasons why it's it's so popular. You know, film programs now, it's like all art just it's like Jenny Holzer shit, you know? It's like Lawrence Wiener, you know, throw some blood on a wall and write a few fucking letters and it's like that's that's a psyop, man. Like I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's very that's yeah, that's a very interesting the idea that art has just become the art critique. Is actually a, that's a, I mean, and then, and then money laundering, and you know, and and also showing off, you know, in real estate, which is an aspect of it. I mean, yeah, but um, that's yeah, that's 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 interesting. Well, well, tell tell me about um, the rock and roll you're making. Are, are you? Uh, what are you working on with Kim oh, Kane? Man, I'm actually working on a dark exotica rock project. <laughs> it's very orientalist. Uh, I, I'm doing that with a friend in LA. I'm actually going back there to, to finish recording some stuff for it. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing that. I did a bunch of soundtrack stuff. I kind of just got into that. And I make a lot of music for the show. And I, I sort of stopped playing music live. But I'm getting back into it again. You know, I'm like writing songs. You should play on the Rated Z TV show. I'm down, yeah. Because, yeah, if you're coming to L.A. to do this, I mean, you should really um, do this um, faux, you know, this kind of um, simulated performance thing that we're doing. Because if you're not playing live, it might be a good way to, to you know, dip your toe back into live because it's not really live, but it's a sort of, you know, That's, pantomime. It's really interesting because you have a sort of like old kind of like retro I don't want to say a retro aesthetic, but you've always had these sort of like expansive conceptual ideas that that sort of play with like, where does nostalgia take place in all of this for you? Because I I'm of the opinion that nostalgia can also be a revolutionary force. You know, Walter Benjamin, he said that as well, um, you know, because I think memory is so can can be so driving you know, only because yeah. it's, it's where we sort of harness all of our sort of like emotional force. Yeah. Well, it seems like everybody's just really hung up on some formative experience, you know, like whatever you just missed when you were born, you know, so everybody has kind of just totally fixated on that. And if you look at the history of rock and roll, it's always been this throwback movement. It's a very conservative it's always been really conservative. It's just about this obsession with something that you miss. So the sixties is just about, you know, the, it's about hobos and the dust bowl and the blues, uh, you know, all stuff from the forties that those sixties people missed. And ever since then, we've all been just kind of regurgitating something that we just missed out on and trying to recreate it. But then it's, 
shaped by the technological circumstance of our of our moment, you know, in the consumer paradigm at the mo- of the moment, you know. So, you know, I mean, you know, the tech, tech, like, like art is just what is art? It's just a it's just a way to e- e- exhibit some technological gizmo, you know. So it's like, uh, you know, techno music is just some gizmo and then you know a fuzz box is the same thing it's like you know in rock and roll itself what is it it's just electrification of the voice like that's the only real definition that i can figure out that rock and roll it like it has to be electric if it's not electric you don't really call it rock and roll music right you know what i mean like if if you're not using a microphone to kind of transmit the vocal and you know that's there's lots of times when you might play a show and you don't need to use the microphone for your voice because everybody could hear it, but you would always use the microphone because it doesn't, it, it's not rock and roll music unless you have the microphone, you know? And um, so anyway, the point, I, I forgot what my point is. Oh yeah. So nostalgia is, um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I, honestly, I, 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 I just am really attracted to, um, that idea, yeah, that idea of, um, you know, I, I think that before rock and roll, before culture was, or before rock and roll was kind of codified, you know, um, it, it was, uh, it was really, um, it was really wide open what it could be, um, you know, before the British came in and they, 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 you know, when people see something from outside, they, understand it you know like the french new wave you know they're, they're, those guys that's you know they're the ones who you know they they looked at the american film like you know they they didn't get the american films during world war ii and then all of a sudden all the american films came in so they were able to really like see it from outside and kind of understand it in a different way you know than the americans and similarly you know the british can they could appreciate rock and roll in a different way than Americans because we were just hung up by our class system and, you know, whatever. So they, you know, they were liberated to kind of sing in a fake black accent or what, you know, whatever they, they could do all this stuff. Cause they, they, you know, they saw it from outside and they were sort, sort of, or the Canadians now, you know, Canadians are the same kind of way they look at rock and roll from this kind of, you know, or they look at American culture and they kind of see it from, you know, kind of like, I guess that's, like being clear in Scientology, you're like supposed to be hovering above the world and looking at it. And you have this kind of, you have this kind of distant remove and you can kind of see, you know, whatever you manipulate situations to your right. So that's kind of, that's why the outside, you know, that's why the outsider is such a, it's, you know, everybody wants to be the outsider because in a sense it's this like real, you know, it's like you have all this. You're like Columbo. You you're know, like the like, lifeguard at the beach or something. Yeah, you're just like, oh, you're just, or God, you know, God. And and so so anyway, um, the point is, but I like, before rock and roll is codified, it's more like some weird, it's like radio plays or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. And it's really, and there's not these ideas about what it has to be or what, it, it's really just really weird and wacky. And um, I mean, I'm not the first person to say any of this stuff is just, but it really resonates with me, this idea that like, 
you know, but if you listen to pre Beatles rock and roll, it's just really novelty music. And it has very little distinction from being like a, a commercial, like a radio commercial, you know, like the songs are almost just like, like a really obnoxious commercial. And I like that. I think that's really cool. You know, it's really immediate and it's never based on um, the personality of the singer. And like, the, it doesn't rely on the narrative of the singer, you know, like you listen to whoever it is, like, you know, Nick Cave or the, you know, or the Beatles or something. And there was always this idea that like, oh, well, like you always know, oh, well, this is the record where they did that. And, you know, there's some kind of publicity narrative that's been, you know, foisted on you. And and, um, so you're kind of listening to, you know, that's what the whole indie indie publicity is all based on like, oh, well, you got to have a storyline there's going to be a storyline to sell the music. Right. It's, going to be- it, it's it's so crazy because I feel like so much of music right now and just art in general is like you really have to sort of create, you know, it's not just one thing. It's not like, you know, you're some sort of just like diamond in the rough and you get plucked out and then all of a sudden you're like, you know, somebody believes in you and, and you know, it's like a, you, you know, it's like a raggedy Annie story where, you know, you're sort of like saved. Like that doesn't really exist anymore. It's like just, it's just this exercise and constant layering upon layering of like world and lore and like concept. And, you know, it's, it's really difficult to navigate, I think for a lot of people because, you know, and some people are just native into it. It's just super fucking easy for them. Uh, I think it's pretty easy for you, actually. You seem to be somebody who who does a lot of different things. Uh, and, and I think that's cool. And, you know, even in your book, Supernatural Strategies for Making a Rock and Roll Group, like you sort of predated this idea that bands were kind of g- going to go away as things became more modularized and there was less space to like actually form rock and roll bands. I I've got the book right in my hand right now. Um, <laughs> actually, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it yeah, is, well, that's, that is interesting because yeah, the group is a really dead thing because the group, I mean, let's face it. Rock and roll is, can't really exist in the digital era because rock and roll is actually premised on the idea of a sub of subculture. You know, it's really based on the idea of, you know, Oh, we, you know, that there, there's some subculture. So a subculture is a group of people who aren't part of some mainstream narrative and who exist, you know, on the fringe and have their own understanding and they have their own philosophy or their, or, or just humor or they understand, you know, they have certain accepted things. So like punk, for example, was a subculture and there's the kind of like par- parodic, you know, fake, you know, racism in early punk that's kind of what, you know, could never be possible in the digital paradigm because, you know, because subculture can't exist because everybody is invited in, you know, with this, you know, the inclusive digital, you know, paradigm where everybody comes in. And so their idea is like, well, somebody could misunderstand this and your, your jokes don't work. You know, they, they don't work because this person, Kenoshi, Wisconsin, 
is going to be really upset, you know, by your, you know, your sort of use of language. Do you know what I mean? So, so not that I'm saying, you know, that people should be like the punk rockers in the late seventies and make these, you know, jokes. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, cause I absolutely yeah. am against, I'm absolutely against it. And I just want to go on record saying that. But anyway, the, the point is like, um, you know, there's this idea that um, everybody has to be included, you know, or everybody is included, you know, so you're, you're just, you, you know, the digital overlords really, demo- you know, they really demolished all, you know, the ability for anybody to have something special, you know, do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, no, totally. It's, you know, like speciality and, and bespokeness, I think, is what people want most. You know, it's like, and I don't think that can really be replaced. I think if you, by making one-off things, by making hands, you, you know, sort of like, I think the craft in things is is going to have to make us a, a sort of comeback. You know, and I, I and ultimately, I think that's what people. You know, I think that's what people want. Uh, right now, because again, they're so burnt off out on words. It's like, you know, just it at a, it's like at a certain point, words can be great because you want to give the things that you do context. But if it's if it's just constantly tweeting and, and writing stuff and, you know, going on these lengthy, you know, rhetorical, ex, just it, it basically, you know, it's like at what point do you stop being a 16th grader? You know, you're eventually going to have to, you know, exit this like um, this sort of academic way of describing yeah, the, this world. Re- the rhetorical play is gotten to such, uh, you know, it's 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 gotten to such. Yeah, it's just it's just so commonplace that it's really boring. You know what I mean? Like, you know, actually, you know, the whole thing is actually the first astronaut was a. Uh, you know, I don't know, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This whole thing of like, well, actually this, you know, it's like, yeah, it's this, like this course. It's ridiculous, yeah. you know, it's, it's very, yeah. Anyway. So what would you say, like the solution to this is because it, like, w- like, is there a sort of like ending to this or are you? Um... Well, I mean, we're living in a world now where. I mean, OK, when we were young or when you, I, I'm older than you, but you know, when I was young, you know, the idea that the personal is political was really exciting. You know, you hear somebody say the personal is political and it's alliterative. You know, it's a personal political. That's that's cool. And then you're like, OK, so that means. If I wear some black shoes, that's like a political statement, you know, and everybody gets really into that when you're young because you are powerless. And, you know, and, you know, I, li- I lived in Washington, D.C. and you go on these marches, you know, for all the time. You're like, oh, and none of them at the time, you know, none of them were ever reported in the newspaper. You know, there would be like a million people protesting for whatever, you know, free Palestine or whatever. And then. There would be no mention of it ever in the, you know, in the in the paper, and it always really useless. You know, it was all pointless and pointless exercise. And um, 
So the idea that art and that uh, you know symbolic gestures had this incredible you know potency, you know something like you know then you read you know you'd read Dick Hebdige and you'd be like oh well actually I'm wearing my you know I have my collar popped and that has extraordinary political significance you know and then so then you get really into that idea um, and it's kind of like that idea has taken over to such an extent where that's all anybody, you know, that's what people, people are mistaking that for, you know, you know, it's, it's the impotent, you know, people are almost like, they're so, they're so like, uh, they're like infatuated with their impotence. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so right. it's, like, it's like, you know, so, so it's this whole thing about like, you know, these gestures and the meaning of these gestures. And in the meantime, like we're in World War Three. you know what I mean? Like in the meantime, you know, the world is actually, you know, we're, you know, it's and it's funny because, you know, none of the, you know, I mean, we're living in a world that's supposed to be so political, but you're actually not allowed to speak about anything that's actually happening. That's what's funny. Oh, you can talk about Game of Thrones and the significance and how oh this is this mini series is like so it's just revolutionary. It's a, it's a revolution. It's it's no one has ever. Or you, you can know, talk about like these boilerplates, you know, fucking culture war issues about yeah, exactly. like you know what gets taught in schools, but. I mean, if you want to make those questions fundamentally political, it's like, well, I want to understand, do you want to abolish public education and the education of the state? Because to me, that's the the only thing that matters. It's like, no, 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 I, I actually don't fucking care what you think there. Like, do you want to abolish public school? And I do, 100%. Like, I coming from a, a, a vaguely Marxian position, you know, it's a, it, it's truly an indoctrination chamber. You know, I remember when I was a kid, it was all sort of pro-war rhetoric surrounding Iraq. You know, they serve freedom yeah. fries in the cafeteria. Uh, now it's, you know, this sort of uh, politically correct dogma that, you know, the U.S. state is, advances now is, is very social justice oriented, very politically correct. Uh, but it, it's, it's all coming from the same place. You know what I mean? It's, it's, all, coming, it's all top down <laughs> programming that is like allows no i mean yeah the the iraq war uh, yellow ribbon era felt just as oppressive as the kind of you know whatever inclusive uh, diversity equity uh, mantra of the corporate state because it allows no kind of you know you're actually not allowed to say anything or not you know you, you can't discuss it so it's kind of right. the same as standing up for the flag during the, you know, the NBA game or whatever and saluting the soldiers, you know, it's like, is it, it's a very similar dynamic, you know, because you can't talk about like, Oh, diversity. Well, what about your equity, you know, equity and inclusion, how, you know, diver like diversity of wealth seems to be the real concern of the state. Do you know what I mean? Like that diversity of wealth is very very important to the state. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like diversity of opinion 
is anathema. Oh, totally. But diversity, yeah. but diversity of wealth is very celebrated. It's it's and, a and we, we we have to be really happy about the diversity of wealth <laughs> in the country. I mean, it is kind of ridiculous. You know, you see like NBA players like Stephen Curry, who have been these kind of like big social justice advocates, uh, vetoing building 30 and 30, a 30, a 30 million dollar housing complex for the poor in his, you know, city of Atherton, which is, you know, very affluent neighborhood south of San San Francisco. Um, It's one of the most expensive real estate locations in the country. Uh, you, you know, it's you really are seeing this thing, and it's it's almost like it's almost parody at this point. And but the reaction to that, unfortunately, has been more sort of like ramping up of culture war tropes. I think on the right, I think this sort of rise of reactionary is also fundamentally missing the problem, which is that you're locked into a device that that keeps you in in these cycles right it keeps you basically like if you're on the phone like your morphological freedom is the same as anybody else like that does something to you actually to your brain if you're sitting there firing off you know opinions in in speaking and using and profaning the word like you're really you're really operating in the same dimensional plane to me the only sort of exit is is to sort of give symbols the symbolic economy back its purpose you know like we live in a very sort of like uh signal heavy wor- world but there's not you know where things are sort of like uh pointing to other things and it's very signifier heavy but there's not a lot of symbolism you know it, and it, yeah. that's, and I think that's a, a big problem, and uh, a lot of things get lost because of that. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I, I dig. I, I think I dig, dig what you're saying. I mean, I think. I mean, yeah. I'm not into the binary. I'm not into this reactionary. You know, right? Yeah, it's the Vogue for the Vogue and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's the the whole thing is it's it's quite sad. It's quite sad what we're we're witnessing. Yeah, the discourse is so idiotic. <laughs> uh, on you know, I mean, not that I have anything intelligent to say, but you know, it's just uh, it's really it's really uh, crazy. But I think that um, yeah, it's I mean, what 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 is most what most resonates with me is the kind of inability for anyone to speak, um, you know, to, to actually say anything um, about, you know, that there's so much off the table that we're not allowed to uh, kind of um, talk about, Right. you know, like, you know, I just grew up in a era when there was still a sort of a, you know, sort of an anti-war movement, you know, and there's no, you, you couldn't really be anti-war now. That would be really, I think you would really become a, you'd become an, you know, ostracized from society or whatever. You know, to be an anti, do you know what I mean? Like to make an anti, like I just read in Germany, uh, there's some uh, anti-war advocate who just made it, he made a speech that was kind of, you know, against the war and equating Germany's rearmament with a, 
you're you're talking about the kind of that you know the Germany's rearmament wasn't was you know dangerous and and he you know and he was um, fined you know two thousand euros and um, threatened with or you know he's supposed to serve forty months in prison or something for this uh, dissent. So there's a kind of like the, you know I you know the tradition. It's interesting because you know growing up in America, there's this idea that you can say anything and dissent is absolutely. Um, fine you know as long as it's meaningless but now somehow dissent is really uh yeah it's it's a, yeah it's a, it's just an interesting uh time basically <laughs> yeah it, it, it's a really interesting time it's like you could talk about you know and it, it's a really interesting time to me because it seems like there's there's a real sort of struggle between people's ability to sort of create generatively and change the, the, their own relationships with matter and objects. And, and there's this entire force telling people that you should not do that because it doesn't have enough, because there's not enough social capital that comes from like buying a antique or, you know, owning something or making a, an object that's solely, you know, it, it's self-contained in that it, it doesn't really relate to anything else. You know, it's not yeah, like, yeah. it's not like designer clothing or something like that, where it's like, well, you're, you're buying something that's well-made, ostensibly well-made, but you're buying it as a brand that, that gains you a certain experience, you know, because if you're seen wearing this thing, you get access to other things. And so everything yeah. has become so based on the subjective experience, which is this kind of loop that endlessly commodifies itself. It, it, you know, it's the same thing with like garbage, prestige, HBO TV shit. It's like all it is is fodder for people to talk about. Like, yeah. where, how is this stuff influencing anybody to create anything? It's like, I don't want to hear, you know, the bravest thing anybody can do right now is make a fucking cartoon about like hot dogs, you know, avenging like the death of their father in another dimension. Like, like to me, like that, it it really is. It's like there's uh, a friend of mine was saying something like the the real art is like a buddy cop movie about uh, a police officer who's allergic to animals who partners with an orangutan to solve a banana heist, <laughs> you know, like there's no subjectivity, there's no plot, there's no meaning. It's just like pure art. This is kind yeah. of why I liked avatar because it was like, you know, even in it's, it's like message of like marginality and oppression. There were no sort of like historical references to any actually existing culture, you know? So it wasn't like the, the Navi people were like black people or they were native Americans. They, they were kind of this amalgamation of a lot of different characteristics of, of other groups. And so I thought that was like kind of interesting, which is why I liked Avatar. And it was so utterly meaningless and retarded. And I like that. Like, to me, that's like how art should exist, which is why I agree with you. It's like we get we have to go against against language. You know, we have yeah. to fight language. Yeah. 
you want yeah it's it's uh yeah it's the it's the prison you know the, i mean the, the interesting thing is um you know, my book was really inspired by, you know, Marshall McLuhan, of course. Uh, oh, yeah, it's great. About, you know, media and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and you know, the, you know, just, uh, you know, so it's really a kind of almost like a riff on, you know, you know, things he was talking about. And one thing he talks about is the, um, you know, the digital, you know, it's the 60s. And he's talking about the digital, you know, the global village and the digital paradigm that's uh, that's coming up and he says in the future there won't be any privacy there won't be any you know he's basically saying you know he just predicts what's happening now and he says um you know there won't be any privacy and there won't be any really individuality and that we are gonna um all react simultaneously to everything and that it will you know, and then in a sense, it's like a, it's like a lot of spiritual ideas. Of, you know, all you know, you know this idea. You know this idea that you always talk. Oh well, you know when somebody dies, and it's like, oh well, they're in the, they're in, they're all around us or whatever. You know, so that's kind of where you know humanity. You know, due to this kind of digital paradigm, this digital corralling. You know, they're kind of reducing people from being physical objects into being just this kind of simultaneous you know consciousness that's very conform you know conformist you know that's that conforms you know it's like a mob it's this kind of mob you know thing and i think at a certain point you know very quickly i think we're going to be convinced that our bodies are you know, there's going to be a moral idea that your body is really like that you're uh, irresponsible or bad if you have a body and that your body that we're going to be sort of, you know, reduced to, you know, people are going to be put in a kind of hard drive situation and it'll be seen as a great liberation, you know, to be freed from the confines of your physical form. Right. Which is, which is really, uh, you know, which is such a drag, your physical form and physical living. And, you know, and even, oh, like I had... I this is the sort of transhumanist ideal. Yeah, so this transhumanism, blah, blah, blah. And um, so, and this is all coming, yes. And that's, the, and that's why ultimately we have to strive for this kind of, you know, I, I, I think that the reduction of people is really the reduction of people into words. You know, that's, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Mm, is that that's really physical, interesting. Yeah, the physical, great. you know, that people are being, yeah. I mean, we're all being taught that I, not only, you know, ever since people got in chat rooms, there's this idea that like, Oh, well, your human form is like a complete irrelevancy because it's whoever you decide to be in that chat room is who you are. That's like really who you are. And, you know, and when you see pictures of, you know, Zuckerberg and Meta, you know, he's hanging out with a big jellyfish and, you know, a cute jellyfish or whatever, you know, and that's, it's, that's like, you know, that, and that's supposed to be like, you know, this incredible, like, that's just so fun, you know, like we're going to be, or, you right. know, that's like, oh, like this, yay, you know, so, anyway. but, um, but I think it's really, uh, yeah, I think it's really dangerous, you know, this entire thing. And, you know, and I, I just really think that all these 
you know, the, the nerds, you know, these kind of like low intelligence. I mean, you know, these people who are kind of designing our digital reality. I, we, we defer to them as kind of these geniuses because they're harnessing this crazy technology, but they're also really like stupid in a lot of ways, you know? And I think that they're, I think that they're really getting their ideas from sci-fi, you know? Um, you know, I think they look at Orwell and they're like, oh, cool, like Big Brother and Linguistic Engineering. You know, like they don't really have any imagination. So their imagination, their their ideas are really coming from these dystopian sci-fi novels because that's what, you know, the future is. That's their only guide to the future is these like Philip K. Dick books and stuff, you know. And that's why everything feels prophetic. When you read a sci-fi book, when you read a Philip K. Dick book, you're like, oh, my God, like the stigmata of who, you know, that book, you know, where it's like they're basically just on this drug and it's like the Internet, you know, it's just like the Internet. And and you're like, oh, that's so prophetic. But really, it's like the reality is that the people in Meta and suffered, they're just these, you know, very like there's like simple, you know, they're just simpletons, you know, who read sci-fi. Right. Yeah. They read like like Steven Pinker and like, (laughs) you know, it's like they may read like a book a day, but it's all like garbage or something like that. (laughs) And they may like retain like 90% of it. That's why I like Gene Wolfe and, and people like that. There's a lot of sci-fi writers who are just like too postmodern and too obtuse to sort of like influence you know, like nobody's going to make a society off book of the new sun or like shadow of the torturer. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like, which is why, like, that's the stuff that I'm really interested in. Now, like I'm really interested in science fiction of the past that couldn't be made into a future dystopia. Like that's almost like where the pure imagination like resides. Like I've been really into that TV show, the prisoner, Obviously, you know, that's that is kind of dystopian in a certain sense, because it's like, you know, you've got these like people stuck on a prison island and these big white orbs come down and they fucking suck you up and they do all this other stuff. But yeah, it's been so it's been interesting, like where to find where I I've been finding inspiration outside of. Yeah, yeah. You know, the prisoner is interesting because have you have you seen the TV show Danger Man? I haven't. Because, um, you know, that uh, Patrick McGowan was um, he was this actor on this, um, you know, spy spy TV show called Danger Man. And then yeah. it was remade. It, it was uh, it was released in the USA as Secret Agent Man. And um, and that's where Johnny Rivers was um, commissioned to write the theme song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The American one, but anyway, in England it's called Danger Man, and then he got sick of doing it. It was a big hit, and it's great. It's really great. And uh, then he got sick of doing it, and then he was like, he you know got together with the producer and was like, I've got an idea for a follow up. So in the beginning, when he's quitting the he's quitting the spy agency, and then they you know they take him to the island. That's he's quitting you know his TV show, which was way more mainstream, you know. So then he's taken to the prison island. And so the prison island, in a way, is like his artistic. That's his him wanting to be an auteur and an artist. Do you know what I mean? But then ironically, it's him in a in a in a surreal prison island that he can't get out of. So it's it's in, in a way like 
you know, it's, it's just an interesting thing about, you know, art and, you know, people's desire to be free through art. And then how that is also a kind of like curse, you know? Right. You know, it's interesting to see what it's all nonsense. It's like, who is number three, you know, blah, blah, all this stuff. And there's no answers. And that's, you know, that's the creative life in a nutshell, you know, it's just like, there's never any answer. Yeah. And, and, and there's no reward. Like you can't do anything unless you're like a cheese ball, you know, then there's no, no real, or rather there's no instruction. There's no, you know what I mean? Like you're just kind of the real reward you get is that you keep, you keep being able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so if you, if you like to do it, you, you can keep doing it. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. I think like ultimately that's the reward that's my reward. You know, it's like, I don't make very much money, but I make enough money to keep doing what I'm doing. And I'm grateful that, you know, people are supportive in that way. But it's like, I'm always like looking for stuff, you know, it's like, you have to like write books and make music and do all this other shit. It's just, it's, it's crazy. You know what I mean? But, but it's also like, you know, but at the, at the end of the day, it's like, I still think that, there's something liberating about it still, you know? Oh, absolutely. Like I wouldn't, because on one hand, it's like you you own your own production, you know? I think that's the biggest question we have now is like, how do you sort of own your own sort of like intellectual and physical output? And I, I think that that contributes a lot to people's sort of like understanding of themselves as they exist in the world. So that's why I think it's important, you know, th- that you sort of, I think that more and more people actually do that because it makes it easier for everybody else too. you know, you want to set a good example for people, I-, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because you come from like a Marxist background. Well, I've always been fascinated by, Mar- you know, Marxism, but I, you know, it's not that I necessarily understand it or have read it, but. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, I mean, for me, you know, everything is, um, you know, I'm a really, you know, I'm like a primitive person. I'm not an economist, you know, so it's like the rhetoric and aesthetics of things and the kind of like some sim- some sim- simplistic reduction of life into slogans is just really appealing, you know, and it's it's just, you know, I, I would say um, in terms of you know, all this stuff, it's, it is, it's also like religion, you know, you, you get this idea and then it becomes like very close to your identity. Um, yeah. You know, or it becomes tied in with your identity and then you can't, you know, so, so yeah. So for, for me, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's Mark, you know, it's Marx because, you know, Marx is just like, you know, he, you know, they have that kind of orange red, you know, con- you know, the communists, you know, they have that, that particular shade of red, it's just so, you know, great. And then, uh, and then I'm. It's like, yeah, the May 68 stuff definitely had swag, but, it, you know, it's. Uh, oh, and the Bolsheviks and the constructivists and, you know, all of it. And then the, and then the leftist grills and the Fidel, you know, Fidel is a, and the Barbudos and the, you know, there's so many, you know, you know, thing, you know, there's so many like variants, you know, of, of this thing. And then also I'm perverse. So I really like 
you know, I just, I like that idea of like, you know, like people like, you know, I love the, the idea that like, you know, oh, you know, the Cuba is taken over by these bearded guys from the, you know, who live in the mountains and then the, and then the multinationals are stripped of their assets like that to me, that's just so, you know, that's like, that's just so great, you know, and, um, you know, so perverse. And then even the kind of like, really, you know, you know, despicable aspects of it, you know, the Stalin, the Stalin terror and, you know, just, you know, it's like, even that kind of has some kind of, you know, perverse allure, you know? And then of course I, you know, and then I'm just, it, it and then kind, yeah, it kind of does. Yeah. 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 <laughs> In a weird way. Red Army, you know, the red army, it's just so like, you know, it's the, you know, cause I'm uh yeah, I'm just from, you know, I'm not, I, you know, I didn't go to private, you know, I went to, you know, like I went to public school yes, and, um, you know, I'm kind of scum of the earth, you know, like I live in uh, Los Angeles and, you know, all the people I'm, I kind of, you know, you know, meet or, you know, they, they have really, you know, um, you know, impressive kind of, you know, um, uh, what is it? Uh, genealogy, you know, like they have really impressive genealogy and, um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, because history, you know, I realized, you know, living here, I'm like, history is bourgeois, like memory is bourgeois. The memoir is a bourgeois thing. You know, like if, if you talk to a poor person, they don't really know who they are and where they come from and what the achievements are. Or of their why they should write about is. themselves. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's no reason. I mean, I mean, really, the only, re the only way you can write about yourself in America is if you're a drug addict. <laughs> Because that idea, of, like, it's quite interesting, actually. Like, I, I was thinking about it. It's like, you know, when did that become the kind of mechanism through which you can tell a story? Because, you know, at one point people told, you know, they wrote memoirs and there was no drug addiction involved. But I don't think you can do that. You can't really do it anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like, could you write a memoir without a, without a drug journey? I don't think you could, really. Yeah, it, I mean, I people do, but I think it's like this incredibly sort of tedious notion that, you know, you can sort of, you know, fictionalize your own life. But again, it, it is like to write I about... Chuck, I guess Chuck Barris did it from The Gong Show. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, because he, he wrote that, you know, thing that's all like, it's about how he's a CIA. You know, The Gong Show, you know? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I mean, like, he wrote some, you know, memoir. I, I, I think it's... All, it's all about how he was, you know, it's like a kind of, it's a gonzo memoir, actually. I need to check that out. So it's, so your book, like, if you could also just sort of like go back, because I'm really interested in this idea of like the Enlightenment. And it, it, would you say that you're like anti-Enlightenment? Because there's a whole sort of like, you know, there's various reactions to that with like Joseph de Maistra and like the Thermidors and all of this other stuff that, that happened. It's nothing personal. Yeah, it's nothing personal. Had nothing to do with you. Personal. Yeah, it's nothing personal. 
As far as I understand, I mean, I would say it's really linked to Protestantism, right? So, you know, Protestantism is a really interesting, you know, it's really interesting because in a sense, it really, you know, the idea of Protestantism is that wealth is a signifier of goodness and that poverty is shows a moral degeneracy, you know? Excuse me, hold on a second. Sorry, I took a bite of this apple. Anyway, um, and um, so, you know, the pro- the Protestant, you know, thing, you know, is just, uh, it's really, you know, it's it's just really interesting because in a, you know, in a sense, like, you modern society, I mean, America is definitely based on this pro- Protestant idea. Um, that wealth is, you know, you know, that, you know, wealthiness is, uh, you mean, you know, means you're good where, you know, before Christianity had the, you know, they kind of ennobled the poor and the, you know, the idea was like, well, you know, wealth is nice, but it also, you know, ensures you a place in hell. Do you know what I mean? Like there was this whole right. idea. Not so divine, you know, there's something nice about divine, right? Because it takes away, you know, I, I guess, yeah, under Protestantism, everybody feels like a loser, you know, because you're you you know you're really absolutely responsible for your for your fate, and you know, and before you know before before that, you know, there was this idea that well, you know, God has a plan, and we're all God's children, and you know, I'm okay even if I am just a trash man or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Right. And then uh, under Protestantism, it became sort of like it's your your fault if you're not like rich. It's it's your personal failing, and you're a lo- you know you're a loser if you're not the president. Yeah, and that's why that's why people are really obsessed with being a kind of you know finding a kind of identity that isn't you know whatever you know the you know everybody's. You know, like I was at a party, you know, in, you know, well, whatever. I don't know. Anyway, 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 yeah, like, you know, there's this idea, you know, everybody's looking for the reason that it's not their fault, you know. Do you know what right. I mean? You know what I'm saying? It's not, oh, it's not I, my fault. I do think that but, um, there is a kind of deterministic structure to the world. Uh, well, I don't really believe it. Uh, yeah, I believe in compulsion. I believe, I just don't believe in this, uh, you know, this free will thing. I mean, I think democracy. Oh, I, I don't really. Free will. Yeah. It's, and, and democracy, I mean, that's just narcissism, really. You know, this kind of idea that we're all like calling the shots. It's like, it's really sad that people buy into these ideas, you know, because they're really not real. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're really torturing themselves. It's really like a kind of form of self abuse, you know, voting. Voting is a kind of form. It's like self mutilation or something. Do you know what I mean? Like you're, you're, you're expecting some 
outcome from this. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a it's weird. It's a, it's a really weird idea. And 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 uh, yeah, but I I don't know. I just um, yeah. So I think the Enlightenment is just an outgrowth of this Protestant idea, and you know, pro, pro, yeah, the Protestants are they're the worst, you know. I mean, I feel like any... Oh, you, no, I don't know travel, about that. The Catholics are so much worse than the Protestants. Well, the Catholics are really bad, but they're like... Um, but you go to a Catholic country and you're just going to have a much better time. Depend, depends on if you're an in-group person or an out-group person. Maybe you're right. I don't know. I just like, you know... I, or, or the, well, what about the Orthodox? Oh, yeah, they're, they're fine. Yeah, yeah. They're fine. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's that, you know, ancient schism between the Orthodox and the Catholics, but I feel like both are, well, this is, well, this is what I mean. If you go to the, like, you go to Europe, you know, and, the, and there's a real, you know, there's a real divide. The Protestant countries, you know, they're, there's, they're, they've really embraced neoliberalism. There's absolutely no culture that's kind of, that you can, you can't identify, you know, most, you know, go to Holland, nobody even speaks Dutch anymore, really. Uh, right. You know, it's, it's just a, it's a kind of, you know, it's just hotels.com and uh, that's it. And, you know, if you go to a, you know, Catholic country, they, they might have some semblance of some, I mean, that's me. I'm just a conservative. So I just like, I like it to go somewhere where I feel like, oh, well, you know, there's some sort of tradition or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? But that's because I'm a conservative. I just am very conservative. Yeah. So, I, so why is conservatism uh, important to you? Like, how do you think it functions? Because in I'm, my- just innate, I'm just innately conservative. I like, you know, <laughs> like old broken things. I like, like, you know, I like things that are, don't work. You know, like I like, you know, I like buying like a toaster that doesn't really work. And, you know, that's just conservatism, you know, it's just like, Oh, you know, it's not, you it's see- not political conservatism. It's like, no, 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 yeah. not political conservatism. It's just like, you know, the idea of like, oh, look at that building, the paint's peeling off. Oh, yeah, I love like, that. Yeah, I mean, so that's what I mean by conservative. Well, that's you know, the con- beauty of L.A., you know, like that's that's like why going I like away, it's Like there's a lot of development here. It's like, you know, the thing that kind of passed L.A. by, which is all these condominiums, is finally coming here. And they kind of, kind of during this pandemic thing. Yeah, that's one of the things I notice when I go back. Um uh, you know, I'm still trying to figure it out. I go, I go back like pretty often, like once a month, once every two months or something like that. But, um, you know, just to like work on different, you know, I just have like a lot of stuff to do there. You know, I've got family in California. So there is something about that, like, you know, looking at a building from the 1950s, like there was this one building near downtown. It's this child's health development department. It's like some you know, Texas, you know, like whatever, like bureaucratic state building. And it's just so beautiful to me. It's like this yeah. like brick, uh, it, it, you know, it looks sort of like a council estate flat, the font, you know, you could tell it just hasn't been changed since like the early 1970s. And there's something about it that just looks so out of place. I was like, you know, I need to come back here and I need to take pictures of this thing. And, and I'm still looking for it, you know, because I don't exactly know the name of it. I've like looked everywhere for it. And I don't know how I found it, but I was actually walking. I went on a really long walk to, to go 
and I, I saw it, but I fucking left my phone at home. So I didn't get to take a picture of it because sometimes I go, I go walk around. Yeah. Sometimes I go walking around without like a phone or anything just cause like, I don't want to, you know, deal with any, anything. I don't want to like be interrupted. Um, I think it's good to do that. I think it's good to leave your phone at home, but yeah. Well, I think that, I guess by conservatism, I just mean like, you know, I, I mean, I think the idea of beauty is like that really you're seeing something and you know, it's going to be like ravaged by time and destroyed. And that makes you, there's some, and nostalgia is tied in with that idea that you, when you were talking about nostalgia and the idea of missing or like being it's uh, this idea of pain because you see something that's going to be gone. And that's why when you see like, you know, a beautiful little puppy dog and then you're like, Oh, but that puppy is going to, you know, hit puberty. Right. Well, that's why digital photography lacks beauty because, you know, it's like, you know, that it's going to be preserved as it is, you know, when you see some like candid photo of a bunch of people or whatever, it's like at a party, it just sort of exists on this data network block that never goes anywhere. As we're like analog photography, it was captured by light as this process of diffusion and, you know, disintegration. I listening to these old sort of like ambient Muzak soundtracks, like they're actually sort of like disintegrating in real time. You can actually feel the decay. And that's like the beauty of it. It's like when you have a rose that or is, something. That's like the beauty that. of analog. Not, every time you play around with someone, you're like, this is one fewer place that this thing is going to, you know, like when you DJ vinyl, I mean, that sounds like, you know, a, you know, corny, but, you know, like when you DJ vinyl, you're sacrificing the vinyl to the listener. So you, there's this idea that there's the idea is, you know, because you're wearing it out every time you play it. So the idea is like, it's like, Oh, well, you know, I'm giving this rotation of this record to these people, you know, do you know what I mean? So there's a sacrifice. It's a bit of a sacrifice in a way, you know, but the thing about digital photography, the reason it's so disgusting and, heinous is because it's a kind of x-ray really it's not you know like mythology you know like old photography is mythological it's mythic and it makes you you know like you think of martin luther king and the myth of martin luther king is really contingent on these black and white images and the nobility you know and this kind of idea of the you know the myth the myth or you know bob dylan or whoever it is and the people that we that we venerate are, you know, are all based on this kind of, you know, these images and it's, you know, there are these shadows, like you said, light and shadow and this, you know, but, you know, digital photography is, it's more information than the, yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is old photography is like, you're filling in a lot and you're, you're projecting a lot on it. So you're actually part of it. But digital photography is more image, more information than the eye can even see. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. It's, it's just pure information. It's dummy so it's, data. Yeah, yeah. It's well, but it's essentially it's like an X-ray, you know. And that's why there's this obsession 
in our age with like demystifying everything and tearing things down. Like there's this whole, like if Martin Luther King came around in the digital era, it would just, you know, his, it would just be all about some semantic gaffe that he made or that he cheated on his wife or whatever. It would be, everything would be about ripping Martin Luther King apart. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, but the fact that he came, you know, around in this, you know, era of mythic analog photography, people were able to exalt him and his message. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I really think that HD, HD photography is this kind of X-ray. It's this idea of exposing, exposing its subject and kind of, you know, you know, it's the, it's this invitation to kind of crit criticize and destroy. Does that make, make any sense? No, it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And that's why, and that's why we don't, I mean, that, I, I would say HD photography is really the reason that there's no idealism about anybody anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like there's no, there's no heroes. It's like the strangler said, there's no more heroes. Right. And I'd say it's, it's the digital age of like this, I, you know, like what every is, you know, I, I mean, I don't watch these things, but you know, there's some like expose about Hugh Hefner. It's like, who would, I, why would anybody need to expose Hugh Hefner? You know? <laughs> Does anyone think, you know, he is, but he's also just this, he was, you know, he was posited as this cartoon and there's no idea that he's like a good, there's never been a, this idea that he's like, a, you, you know what I'm saying? It's a, it's, it's a kind of useless. Yeah, he action. is who he, yeah, yeah. But, but, but now that's all there is. It's the only way people can understand things. And I, I really think it's, yeah, it's this, fucked up digital shit i mean the, the digital overlords have so much to answer for in destroying our world you know they they and and i really i, I would really say a lot of it has to do with the microdosing you know because they're so they're these huge proponents of microdosing and yeah you know, so what's the what's the what's the paradigm of acid it's like i think i'm god i'm jesus or whatever so think about that everybody in menlo park or wherever they live is dosing all the time and they all have this God complex. And what, what do we associate with God is surveillance, you know, surveillance, narcissism, and this kind of like control, control, you know, and ego, the ego that they invented everything, you know, and that's, that's really what you're getting from Silicon Valley is like control, narcissism and surveillance. They're all knowing. They know everything about you. And they, you know what I mean? Like, so the God complex and the microdosing paradigm are very, you know, that's that's Silicon Valley. And the, and you know, and they're so content to just destroy everybody's livelihood. Like they've taken everybody's jobs away. You know, like if you're a musician, you're 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 shit, you're worthless. You know, if you if you own a gay bar, you know, suddenly your gay bar has no purpose because of grind you know grinder or whatever you know so it's like you know you're a taxi cab driver <laughs> you're out of work you know like they've thrown the world out of work and in the meantime yeah you know, it's it's just these people the idea that well, they've turned everybody into into pundits because they've they've incentivized punditry 
Yeah. You know, as opposed to people going out and, you know, creating forms because they don't want the whole purpose of the quote unquote last man or whatever, you know, that Kojev spoke about, he wrote about was essentially like the integration of form with context in a way that that created this like um, hazy, uh, bizarre relationship with you know, what it means to be a subject or what it means to be like a, a person. The last man is no is not really a man, but like an it, you know, it's a, and, and I think that's essentially, I think it was prophetic in, in many, in many ways. So wait, who, who is this? Who, who is this? Alexander Kojevi. He, um, I don't I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Who is Russian, French philosopher, I've been reading a lot of him lately, and it is kind of interesting, though. Wait, when was when was he writing? When oh, I mean, nineteen. He write start. He did his lectures on Hegel in the seminars, in like the thirties, thirty to like thirty eight or thirty nine. Uh, introduction to reading Hegel was sometime around then too. Uh, yeah, it's the nineteen twenties to. He also was like foundational in the creation of the European Union. Wow. Really strange as well. But his whole thing was like, you know, the real movement that progresses to the end, that ends the historical epoch will be liberal democracy. That will be the thing that ends history. And it, in all the historical will be replaced by this, you know, instead of it being communism, it'll be a certain sort of mediological communism of basically logos, you know, of words and language. So he, I mean, he called a lot of this stuff way back wow. in the 1940s. And, and, but it is interesting to see that. And honestly, you know, the thing, I'm just so into old shit right now, you know, like I just, I just like old TV shows. Uh, I like old detective shows. I like going get smart. Oh, I love get smart. You know, I it's really real. like, I like, um, uh, the sacred cows, that band, you know, yeah, kill, kill, kill. That's, you know, where they have like the neon lights that talk about like uh, chaos and like, it, it's like we're programmed. To, to all these chaos and control. Yeah, chaos. And yeah, it's like, but I like their like cow outfits. It's cool. They got like pretty sick riffs. They're all playing like telecasters and shit. There's so many good um, TV bands from the, that era. Oh, you know, so good. Yeah. Mosquitoes on Gilligan's Island. And then there's the Gidget, you know, the Gories on Gidget. And there's so many uh, great bands on television from that era. But um, yeah, but, you know, the um, that, that's interesting. You know, Hegel, you know, the dialectic, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, I made this movie with Alexandra and we were showing it in New York. And I think um, I was in that movie. Wait, is it the lost? Yeah, you're in, you're yeah, in the movie. Yeah, yeah. You're in the movie. yeah. and um, yeah. and we we're showing it, and uh, we got Jim Jarmusch to interview us, and he was telling me that um, when he he was uh, an understudy of Nicholas Ray, and he got like, or in you know, he basically assisted Nicholas Ray, and when he applied for the job, Nicholas Ray said, oh, "Okay, sit down there." And he's like, "Okay, Jim." What do you know about the dialectic? Or tell me about the dialectic. 
or you know define the dialectic and then Jim Jarmusch you know he was like 18 and he was like well you know you've got synthesis or you got thesis and you've got antithesis and then you got you know synthesis or whatever and then uh Nicholas Ray was like all right you got the job isn't that cool that is yeah that, that is cool <laughs> That's funny. That was, that's how, you know, he didn't ask him about film. He asked him about the Hegelian dialectic. So what are your music projects? Like, what do you have going on now? Like, how do you, how are you mixing all this stuff together? Because the book is really, that's like really, really interesting to me, you know? Yeah, well, um, you know, uh, yeah, you know, just, you just got to really hustle these days. Uh, you know, you're just going to, you know, throw, you know, you got to, you know, throw a lot of stuff at the wall and see what sticks. So, you know, uh, so, uh, um, yeah, but, um, I, uh, yeah. So yeah, you know, I do this rock and roll band called escapism and, um, and it's super minimal. It's almost not music. It's as little music as you can, as you can make and still call it music. And, um, and it's, uh, you know, it's just, uh, I think it's it's I think it's um it's good. I think it's good. I'm I'm I, I like it. And um yeah, so that I so I do that and then you know and then there's a film and I'm working on a new film, uh, uh short just a short film and um um and then yeah, and then I've got the book and um you know and then during the uh last year I was making this uh magazine called the cellophane flag and um yeah i know I, i'm i'm gonna try to do that again because it was just a i feel strongly that you can write you can use words but you just can't put them on the internet right you know if you make them and they're analog and um then i think it's uh it can still be really useful for discourse and uh it's just uh, when you put things on the internet then you're just you're entering into a world of, you know, sorcery and things can, you know, go really, you know, badly. Do you know what I mean? But Barry, I just want to thank you for having me on here. Sorry. I'm sorry if I was kind of out of it today. I've just been, uh, I've been like, I've been, you know, I've been trying to like, um, I've been calling, you know, all the, I don't know. I've been, you know, how the, like, you know how you have all these like recurring subscriptions? Yeah. On your, in your, you know, and there's no way to really know what you're subscribed to. <laughs> and you know how it's like the modern model for, you know, everybody wants you to sign up to their thing. And then you have these weird costs that are just so, so anyway, and that's kind of a thing now, you know, you see it on the, you know, on your phone. It's like, oh, like rocket money or whatever. And like get, you know, figure out who, you know, who's draining money out of your account every month. And so I, so basically I, I, I have this, I'm living in this new place. It's kind of expensive. So I've been, so I was calling my insurance company all day and they're trying to cancel my Thing with an angular curve.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not really weatherproof here. Uh, yeah, same, same with here. It's been this crazy, uh, historic storm. And nothing's insulated. And nothing's, you know, leak-proof. So right. people, are, people are having a hard time. I think a lot of possessions have been destroyed. And, you know... And you can really see because there's so many you know, homeless encampments in the street, and then the, all those things, you know, they get washed out. And everybody's possessions, they, you know, the, their their perimeter just expands a lot. You know? Right. Yeah. And it's it's really sad because you know I always think about these people, and I'm like, well, you know, you try to keep it together at first. I always figure like, okay, you know. In the beginning, you'd have your boxes and you'd be like, okay, well, I'm just, this is just a temporary situation. I'm just going to do this, you know, for a minute. And you kind of have your, you know, you're just bivouacking on the street and uh, you'd probably keep it together for a little while. And it would probably be, uh, you know, but then, you know, the rain comes or whatever. Right. You know, yeah. Or you get an infestation. It's, you know. Anyway, you know, it's just something to think about, you know, as, you know, the, the, you know, the, you know, the financial gap gets, you know, wider, you know, hopefully right. we're going to be on the top, but, you know, there's, we might fall into the chasm. <laughs> well, purgatory is getting, purgatory is getting a lot smaller. Oh, I know. It's fucking crazy, man. It's like, it's just have to hustle constantly it's like in echo park oh that's awesome it's uh wait are you so you're gonna move back to la i'm thinking about it yeah i mean la is weird because i wanted to move so bad i wanted to move out of here so bad and then and then I was going to move to the desert. I was kind of, you know, like you, I was like, oh, I just want to move somewhere that's really simple. I mean, I don't know if this is your motivation, but I was like, I want to move somewhere outside of this liberal bourgeois or neoliberal bourgeois paradigm. I want to move somewhere. It's kind of, you know, whatever. Yeah. Just, I was going to move to Arizona, honestly. And then, uh, and, and somewhere that's cheap, and, you know, L.A. just felt so oppressive. There was something in the air that was so fucked up. Oh, I felt that. Yeah, it was, like, really crazy for a while. It was crazy. I mean, it was, like, psychotic. It was, like, dark sorcery, you know, like, horrible, horrible energy. And, uh, and, but I don't know. Now, right now, it feels kind of fun. And, there, you know, it's like L.A. I mean, it's so fucked up. 
there's so many homeless people it's so fucked up but like it's so it's such a degenerate place in a way but there are it's also really cool you know there's so many like you know it's just a big city with a million people and there's cool people Best of order, please, ladies and gentlemen, best of order. Let's have a bit of ash now. Inaudible to the general ear, strange sounds are rumbling. Gospel yeah, yeah sound. That gospel yeah, yeah sound, breed of racing music. New breed for the new flood. Liberation theology for the untouchable sounds. Yeah, all the way, all the way from Chocolate City, all the way from the capital city of your country. Ladies and gentlemen, here they are. Here are the makeup. Come on, the makeup. <laughs> 